You're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the Kulin Nation and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. The Environment Protection Authority, or the EPA, of Victoria is going through some big changes. On today's show, we're going to talk to two community advocates, Wendy Farmer from Voices of the Valley and Brian Snowden from Toxic Free Faulkner, about their experiences with the EPA and what they would change about it. Then we're going to talk to Dr Chris Atmore from Environmental Justice Australia, who describe themselves as nature's legal team, about what they hope for and expect to see from the overhaul. We'll start off with Wendy Farmer from Voices of the Valley. Her organisation tirelessly advocates for the people of the Latrobe Valley since the catastrophic Hazelwood mine fire of 2014 through the closing of the Hazelwood power station and into the future. I asked her what was her experience of the EPA during the Hazelwood mine fire. Look, during the Hazelwood mine fire, we were really disappointed with how the um, EPA handled the fire, what they were, the messages they were giving the community. In fact, the first two weeks, they didn't even have the equipment to really measure what was in the air, which, you know, when you've got a community that is covered in smoke, you need to know what is actually in that air. So our experience at that time was extremely, extremely bad. And you said that since then you've had some positive experiences with the EPA? Absolutely. So Voices of the Valley called for co-design or, sorry, monitoring in Latrobe Valley, more monitoring. So we've got three large mines and um, four power stations. So we felt that we should really know what was in that air. We we called for the um, finance also for the monitoring. So what, when we initially went to the EPA, they said, well, they can't, they would love to do more, but they didn't have the money. So we called for the money also. Since then, Voices of the Valley and a lot of community members have participated in a co-design of monitoring systems. So what we believe the Latrobe Valley needs and wants, we were given a budget. We worked with the scientists, we worked with the EPA, we worked with doctors to really come, come out and have one design that the whole group could agree with. It was a great experience and, you know, the EPA stepping out and trusting the community to do that, I thought was really, really brave. We haven't seen it all implemented yet and they are um, about to tell us how they're going to start implementing that co-design. I think it's an experience that every community should have, but I also think that, you know, there's probably more things that the EPA can do. And how has your experience with the EPA made you feel? I have a lot more trust in the EPA now than I than I did in 2014, put it that way. Um, in 2014, as I said, they let this community down. In 2016, they're actually working with the community to see what the community needs and really change their attitude towards who, that, where, who they are and where they sit. So the EPA works for the community to protect the health of the community. So therefore, they need to be equipped to do that also. So the Andrews government has announced that the EPA is going to have local offices that are going to work with the local council. Would you like one of those in your community? Oh, absolutely. I think they're a great idea if you've got someone local that can actually handle the issues directly without having to go through um, 
Melbourne offices not being able to get onto somebody. I think it's a fantastic idea. And what would you like to see changed about the laws governing the EPA? Look, I think probably the biggest thing is if the EPA weren't to lay charges against a company and you can say Coolaroo, and I don't know what's happening with Coolaroo at the moment, that the community can then actually take legal action against companies. The ultimate thing has to be the health of communities. The health of the communities when industry is there, but also before new industries start. We have to make sure that the the health impact isn't go, going to um, be more because a new industry starts. Um, there's hope that new laws will be introduced that would mean that people from affected communities could question decisions of the EPA and enforce compliance laws that are intended to protect them. What do you think of this idea? Uh, look, I think that's a great idea, and I touched on that just a little bit earlier. I think um, that community members can be involved in the process is really important. All right. Thanks very much for being on Earth Matters. No worries. Thank you. That was Wendy Farmer from Voices of the Valley talking about her experiences with the EPA and what she hopes for from them in the future. Next up, we have Brian Snowden from Toxic Free Faulkner talking about his experiences with the EPA. My name is Brian Snowden. Uh, I live in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, in fact, in a suburb called Faulkner, where I've been involved in a dispute over a a toxic site, uh, a site that was once occupied by a a chemical company called New Farm. And this toxic site came into existence in the 1960s uh, and also... It was uh, prosecuted by what was then the Broadmeadows Council, who was responsible for that area, and the state government uh, for illegally producing chemicals that they weren't, they did not have a permit to produce. Uh, eventually, they were they moved from Faulkner because, and after they moved, they it was found that the site that they occupied was probably amongst, according to Greenpeace anyway, was amongst the the 10 most toxic sites on the planet. And what has been your experience with the EPA during this time? Well, originally the EPA, in dealing with this problem that New Farm created, um, was had to be scream, had to be dragged screaming and yelling to do anything about it by Greenpeace. These days, Greenpeace have other have another agenda, but it was a long fight. Eventually, well, it took eighteen years for the site to be cleaned up, to be recognised as being toxic, and to be cleaned up. And that was uh, under the auspices of residents at the time. One of which was my mother, who belonged to a a residence group that straddled Faulkner and Broadmeadows, and they eventually got enough interest from state government to force the EPA to look at the site and it was cleaned up to some extent. But it was, at the time, they did the worst of it and but ultimately it was found to be so toxic that they covered the site with a clay cap which was never to be disturbed. Mm. That was, at the time, under, under a threat of very heavy fines. Uh, recently, this site was always in private hands and has remained in private hands. It's had multiple owners. It's been divided in half 
and part of that site now is up for redevelopment um, by its current owner and we are not happy. The residents of Faulkner and the surrounding area are not happy with this because we maintain it's still contaminated and, and there are whole areas of, that sur- of the land surrounding this property which were also contaminated and never dealt with either by, by the EPA or anyone else. So my experience, as was my mother's experience with the EPA, is they literally have to be dragged kicking and screaming. They do not listen to anyone other than official channels for ob- maybe perhaps that's for obvious reasons because who's going to pay so your residents uh, individuals whoever we may be who are not so-called inverted commas experts um, have no have no cachet with the EPA at all so you're forced to go through other official channels if you can get them interested well we've been dealing with the Moreland Council who are also somewhat naysayers on this problem because they've got no knowledge, no history of this site at all. And, you know, so we've got... It's a generational thing, as it is with the EPA. There are new generation of, of operatives, officers in the EPA who've never even... Who, who don't even know that this thing exists or did not know it exist, existed, um, have never read the documents... I don't think mm, the ones I've been dealing with still have read the documents in detail. And so it's a major problem, and everyone has this problem who deals with the EPA. And how have your dealings with the EPA made you feel? Well, you can't swear on... <laughs> I don't want to swear on radio. Um, it's it's just totally frustrating. Uh, it's like talking to a brick wall a lot of the time. So what changes would you like to see for the EPA? I believe that the EPA are about to receive some funding. Um, Colleen Hartland, state member for the Greens in state parliament, has had decades of dealing with this. Colleen Hartland has an office in and represents people in the western suburbs of Melbourne and she's had to deal with many, many toxic sites in her years of being an activist including Coote Island, which had a major fire at one point, and all of the oil refineries and all the chemical companies in the western suburbs. She, I believe she has been pushing very hard in Parliament to get the EPA refunded or funded to at least to a level where they can operate uh, far better than they have been to the end where I think the state government is about to allocate them a substantial amount of money, at least an amount of money which they can operate properly and have allocated for the first time, I believe, a scientist into the ranks of the EPA. Now, wouldn't you have thought they would have had a scientist all along, some sort of scientist who was a proper toxicologist. It seems they have not, but they're about to get one. So we may see some changes, and I hope we do. And there's hope that new laws will be introduced that mean that people from affected communities could question decisions of the EPA and enforce compliance for laws that are intended to protect them. What do you think of this idea? I, I think if... I don't know how that legislation is framed. I hope it it is framed in a way that people can do that. But of course, 
it's all evidentiary based you know we need evidence but but no one's you know it would be a very silly person who would go to the EPA without good good cause good reason with a fair bit of reasonable evidence or plausible evidence um, in one form or another so I think it's a good idea if it can work the hurdles to actually getting the EPA the EPA to act are pretty substantial there are you know there are a lot of hurdles to getting anyone to listen to a normal person on the street or a resident in a who's in lives in close proximity to a toxic site or a contaminated site or whatever you know anyway i hope the new laws i'd love to read the 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 new laws i hope they work uh and i hope that people will learn how to use them as well correctly well thanks very much for appearing on the show my pleasure thank you for having me that was brian snowden from toxic free faulkner talking about his experiences with the environment protection authority or EPA, of Victoria. You're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. On today's show, we're discussing the huge changes that are happening to the EPA. Next up, we have Dr Chris Atmore from Environmental Justice Australia, who were formerly known as the Environment Defenders Office. They describe themselves as nature's legal team. I asked Chris to start by outlining the process. Uh, in 2015, uh, for the first time in nearly 40 years, um, uh, there was a, a lot of commitment following a lot of lobbying from organisations like ourselves and a lot of communities uh, to uh, overhaul the Environment Protection Act, um, which started in 1970 and so somewhat out of date. Uh, and there were also a, a lot of there've been a lot of criticisms over the years about um, how that act actually works in practice, and the the key organisation at the centre of that act is the Environment Protection Authority. So the law kind of gives the powers to the authority uh, to, at, at least in theory, protect the environment. Uh, so in 2015, as a result of all that lobbying and dissatisfaction, they started a ministerial uh, advisory committee inquiry into the act. Uh, which uh, reported back last year, and then early this year the government released its response and basically uh, agreed with and said they would implement most of the recommendations from the inquiry, Uh, and then there are a few that are sort of supported in principle but a bit uncertain. So since then, uh, the government's actually introduced a bill into Parliament, which is one of two aimed at reforming both the Act and and the EPA, the authority. Uh, And there's a second bill that's likely to be introduced, um, I think probably early next year, um, uh, which we understand that probably some kind of draft version of what's going to be in the bill is currently with Cabinet. Mm. And they've also um, announced some more funding, which we can talk about later, and um, local environment offices... Uh, pilot scheme as well. Yeah, that's right. There's actually been um, a number of really key themes that came out of the inquiry that have been picked up, at least to some extent, by the government. I guess, uh, you know, EJA, along with a lot of other environmental groups, are sort of waiting for the devil in the detail. But um, 
One of the key really promising things uh, is that the government has committed to introducing a general duty to prevent harm from pollution. Um, That's actually something we've been pushing for for quite some time um, because we think that's actually a stronger approach to um, the current regulatory framework in the sense that it focuses much more on prevention rather than waiting until bad things have happened. Um, Another really important thing uh, is there's been a commitment made by the government, at least in principle, this this hasn't gone into any legislation yet, um, but they've made a commitment in principle to um, support the concept of environmental justice. And uh, environmental justice is the concept's been around, I guess, since the 70s. Um, it's it's basically about the idea, uh, it, it's sort of a, a form of social justice that applies to uh, people in relation to their environment. So the idea is people shouldn't have to bear more than their fair share of the burden on pressure of pressure on the environment. Um, but of course, as we know, that is often the case. So Aboriginal communities, for example, bear, tend to bear the burden of the toxic waste from uranium mining. Um, communities in Melbourne's west bear more than their fair share of the pollution that comes from two of the three largest landfills in Victoria. Um, the list goes on. So, of course, it tends to be uh, people of colour, uh, Indigenous people and poor people who um, always suffer the worst and have the least recourse when it comes to um, pollution and, and uh, other negative impacts on the environment. So environmental justice is really about uh, trying to do something about that and actually giving those communities uh, the tools to be able to enforce their rights. So slightly unfortunately, um, because of the uh, government's commitment to introducing legislation in their current term, they've sort of put the environmental justice concept on hold until after the two bills have been um, sort of put together, um, <clears throat> which in some ways is a bit cut before the horse because our argument is a lot of what should be, particularly in the second bill, is actually about environmental justice. So surely you have to know what it is before you actually start uh, drafting the bill. Mm. Uh, but anyway, we, we do what we can with that time frame. What do you think of the EPA's current funding arrangements and how would you like to see them changed? Yeah, um, it's it's a really good thing that as part of the broader package around the bill, the government has committed to um, substantially increasing funding to the EPA uh, because one of the big issues uh, with how the EPA has tended to operate is that uh, often when they haven't responded to complaints or um, they haven't taken more of an initiative around monitoring uh, air emissions and so on um, has been because of a lack of resources. So we're very pleased to see that uh, and we're also pleased to see that there was an acknowledgement uh, in the inquiry and by the government that uh, there needs to be a much stronger and well-resourced scientific basis to the EPA's work um, because enforcement and regulation really relies on up-to-date science and you need proper technology and well-qualified experts to do that. And again, that takes money. So we're very pleased to see that. And of course, a big part of that is that they've now appointed a chief environmental scientist at the EPA, which which is good news. I guess what um, remains to be seen and one of the themes that we have been pushing strongly for is the need to really change the culture of the EPA. So regardless of how much money they actually have to work with, 
uh, some of the r- really uh, strongest stories from the community and the inquiry and certainly people's ongoing experiences are that um, they don't um, necessarily experience the EPA as a champion, um, as a sort of, you know, cape crusader for the environment. Uh, they they often experience it more as a as a, simply a regulator that sort of mediates between industry and community. Uh, and um, our work with communities over the years uh, has shown that people don't want that. People actually want the EPA to stand up for the environment, to actually be a strong voice uh, that draws a line in the sand about what can and can't be done and that actually enforces um, penalties, including criminal penalties, uh, for, for example, uh, companies who pollute. We're talking to Dr Chris Atmore from Environmental Justice Australia about the changes to the Victorian Environment Protection Authority, or EPA. One of the major themes of the review of the EPA was that there needs to be an increased focus on prevention. For example, in the recent fire at the Coolaroo Recycling Plant in Melbourne's north, the EPA was monitoring the site but were unable to act because they did not have the legislative authority. I asked Chris if she thought that the new laws would mean that the EPA would be able to prevent situations such as this. We hope that if the culture of the EPA uh, changes towards more of a sort of a champion profile, um, that that will combine very well with the government's commitment to introduce stronger powers for the EPA to enforce uh, the law. So you would hope then that in the Coolaroo case, um, not only would there be uh, much more stringent procedures that a company would have to go through you know, after a pollution event, but um, part of the problem with the current system is that there are not uh, really rigorous and systematic monitoring strategies in place, and that applies to all kinds of forms of pollution, whether that's the, the air, water, noise, and so on. Um, <clears throat> so part of... Uh, uh, what we understand is likely to be in the draft legislation uh, is um, a, a, a much more rigorous system of monitoring um, and one that doesn't simply leave it up to the industry to s- effectively self-regulate, which is often what happens at the moment. Uh, and it's incredibly difficult, um, for example, in the in the case of coal mines, for communities to get access to real-time detailed data on emissions Um, and we argue that it's the public right to know that information it's it's their environment it's their health that's being affected for example in the Latrobe Valley over many years Um, and so uh, we have advocated very strongly for uh, both the right to know and the increased monitoring being a significant part of what goes into the new legislation. So we've got our fingers crossed on that one. And the Andrews government has announced a new pilot program of uh, local environment protection officers. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, um, actually we were involved in the uh, reference group for that project, which actually meets this week for the first time. So I think that would be interesting. Um, It's certainly a step in the right direction in terms of... um, acknowledging that the EPA needs to uh, have more boots on the ground in local areas. Uh, So I I think there'll be a lot of work to be done in terms of how 
uh, those officers actually link in with local government in their local communities. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think it'll be an interesting project. Um, I, in a way, it, 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 it links a little to, I guess, the other really huge theme uh, in the reforms, which unfortunately we're not quite so sanguine about um, seeing in legislation, and that's really the need to uh, ramp up acknowledgement of community rights to participate in protecting the environment. So, um, of course, because of EJA's work, that's been a prime focus of ours for a long time. So um, one of the things that we've been saying for years is that we really need much stronger what they call third-party rights in the Environment Protection Act. So we need um, genuine and effective opportunities for communities to be able to seek review of decisions um, or to appeal them um, in, in a meaningful way so that they can actually exercise them and aren't costed out of the process. Uh, so, for example... Um, uh, at the moment, uh, Ravenhall Landfill is um, likely to be um, appealed at VCAT, um, including by uh, community groups. Um, Werribee, a big expansion of Werribee Landfill has just been considered by the EPA at the moment. Um, but part of the difficulty in both of those cases uh, is that if the EPA's decision to approve the Ravenhall expansion is upheld at VCAT and if the Werribee approval also goes ahead, um, effectively that's the only part of the whole landfill approval process where the community actually has a right to uh, intervene uh, at VCAT. So um, because the approvals are set for quite a long period of time, in, in Werribee's case about 30 years, um, in Ravenhalls it was for about 50, but I think it's been reduced effectively to around 30 because it doesn't start for a while. Um, that locks out a whole generation from the opportunity of actually appealing. So that's that's one kind of, of third party right that we're saying at the moment is you know very limited and, and needs to be expanded on the grounds of democracy. Um, the other kind of third party right, which we don't have at all in Victoria, is the right to enforce a complaint about pollution. So, for example, if the EPA can't or won't take a complaint, uh, we say that a member of the community should be able to do that. And at the moment, there's just no avenue for them, unlike many other jurisdictions, including in Australia, um, who have much more advanced third party rights than we do here in Victoria. And the sky hasn't fallen. Mm. Um, and in fact, um, one of the experts they got to look at uh, the situation in New South Wales, where they do have those third-party rights, said um, it's not you know it's not as if there's a a flood of um, communities you know taking these issues to court. It's actually more a drought, and that's even with you know having that right um, because it's still not an easy process for communities to put all that time and energy you know into um, putting a complaint up, um, and there's many other things they'd rather do with their lives. Um, but sometimes you've just got to do it because you feel very strongly about it. It's affecting your health. It's affecting the environment. Nobody seems to be doing anything. Um, so we argue that as part of the general duty to prevent harm from pollution, um, third-party rights and expanding those should follow. Um, another thing about having a dump in a residential area is that that seems like bad uh, land use planning. And the review has mentioned that you know, perhaps the EPA should have the right to intervene in land use planning 
decisions. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> one of the things that came out of the review and that the government has picked up um, is the need to, um, you know, I, I guess in some ways this is happening more broadly in government, for example, with family violence. Um, this notion that silos, you know, actually uh, prevent an effective system from working. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of evidence given to the um, inquiry that um, planning seems to sort of operate separately. The planning laws operate separately to the EPA um, and the health laws also operate largely separately. And so the problem is they don't really get brought to bear on the issues that they should or they come in too late. So with both planning and health, the government is actually committed to integrating them better and earlier into considerations of the environment. So we don't know the detail yet, but um, seems like a good idea. We're talking to Dr Chris Atmore from Environmental Justice Australia about the changes to the Victorian Environment Protection Authority, or EPA. I asked Chris how the new legislation compared to EPA legislation in other states. The idea of the general duty and the idea of um, having uh, expanded third party rights or at least enforcement rights, um, that notion would be similar to uh, the other uh, jurisdictions in Australia that are regarded as having best practice or at least better practice. Um, so in some ways, the reforms are not radical. They're actually about bringing us into line with stuff that we probably should have done, you know, a few years ago. Uh, but, you know, uh, kudos to the government for actually running with those. Um, but, yeah, it, it really does depend on how some of those gaps are filled in and to what extent uh, the notion of the general duty actually uh, pervades the legislation and um, how much of an obligation it puts on all of us um, because one of the problems at the moment uh, seems to be that there are real gaps between, on the one hand, the whole recycling and resource recovery industry, uh, which of course includes the company at Coolaroo, uh, and then... Um, issues of protecting the environment, waste management, pollution laws, and so on. Um, so there seems to be a big need for much broader community education about all those things and how they interrelate. Um, we think government could do a lot more, including telling the public about what they're doing, uh, but could do a lot more to actually encourage uh, industries that are clean and green and recycling. Um, at the expense of those that are not. Um, but unfortunately, quite often what we see is um, the sort of industry jobs and growth mantra um, is chanted uh, as something that has to be traded off against the environment. So it's always a balancing act, um, whereas the Environmental Protection Act and the sort of principles of that um, are actually in law much more weighted towards protecting the environment. But in practice, we do tend to see industry carrying a lot more weight than concerns about environmental harm. So is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, I think the other live issue at the moment is um, what's being done or rather not being done with the uh, environment protection levy. Uh, so, you know, there are millions of dollars at the moment uh, that come from... Uh, landfills um, where uh, people depositing 
waste, um, pay money that eventually finds its way to the government. Um, the idea of that was always to use that money to improve the quality of our environment, um, and including supporting protection. Um, but we understand that it's actually just sitting there. Uh, and, I, and I think that's uh, come to light in some of the stories about Kularu. Um So again, there's a lot of politics around environmental issues uh, that will not uh, be addressed by legislative change. Um, they really require a um, political will to um, raise the bar in terms of what we expect from um, the quality of our environment and, and how we actually deal with the fact that Victoria's population is growing so rapidly. And where do you think that change will come from, like from within government, from the community or from lawyers such as yourself? I really think it's led by local communities. Um, I'm constantly um, impressed by, even in small places, um, and I was at one recently, uh, People who've, you know, they've got a lot on their plate, you know, they work full time, they might be farmers, they might, you know, grow crops, they might just love the outdoors, whatever it is, and they're putting a lot of their time and energy over many years into trying to protect little bits of land where they live or trying to make sure that, you know, we don't fall off the cliff with catastrophic climate change or, you know, other... Um, environmental disasters kind of looming on the horizon. Um, and really, I think the only way um, is for communities to put pressure on political decision makers and say, this really matters to us. You know, If that means that we have to change our lifestyles so that we're not re- so reliant on consumption and um, growth at all costs, then maybe that's what we have to do. Um, and we, um, organisations like Environmental Justice Australia, those are the communities that we work for. Um, so we provide the legal tools, uh, but the push for political change really comes from grassroots Victoria and Australia, and, and they're the ones ultimately who um, have the impact on the politicians. Um, thanks very much for appearing on the show. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate it. You're listening to Earth Matters. On today's show, we've talked about people's experiences with the Victorian Environment Protection Authority, or EPA, and people's hopes and expectations for the major overhaul the organisation is going through. That was Dr Chris Atmore from Environmental Justice Australia, Nature's legal team. To find out more about Environmental Justice Australia, go to envirojustice.org.au. Before that, we heard from Brian Snowden from Toxic Free Faulkner. To find out more about them, go to toxicfreefaulkner.wordpress.com. Before that, we heard from Wendy Farmer from Voices of the Valley. To find out more, go to votv.org.au. If you missed some of today's show, don't forget that our podcast can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support and the dedicated people at the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this program out to you. Earth Matters was produced in the studios at 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria on the Kulin Nation. Our contact phone is 03 9419 
8377 and our email is earthmatters3cr at com. That's all for today, but we'll be back again next week. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.